Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Tolcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is good to be with you another Tuesday evening, reflecting into the richness of our faith in history, where we spend our time reflecting into the great ancient Christian thinkers to better understand what our early history was all about as Catholics and Christians. So uh, today, this evening, we will be doing that with the towering figure of St. Justin, and I will be doing this here in the studio with John O'Hare as as I do every week. John, great to have you with me today. Good to be back. Thank you, Joe. So, John, St. Justin. St. Justin, we have all of these names for him. He's the philosopher. He's he's the apologist. He's, he's the martyr. He's all these things. Um, but he is that first major figure out from the Apostolic Father. So we've had, over the last month... St. Clement of Rome, uh, St. Ignatius of Antioch, St. Polycarp of Smyrna, these major figures who had an immediate closeness, if you will, to uh, the apostles. And now we come out of of that age into this towering figure of St. Justin. There's a a saying which translates, a Greek saying which translates very nicely into English, well begun is half done. Yes. Think of our founding fathers. (laughs) Think of these fathers of the church. Yes. They yes, were, they were huge. Amen. And so, there's so much to be said about Saint Justin, John, and we only have technically 27 minutes, so we need to get going on who this man is, and and in doing so, really focus in on the essentials of what this man was about. So, yeah, he was born in 110 in Samaria, and if you're familiar with uh, the geography of Israel, Jerusalem is in Judea. Christ was raised in Nazareth, uh, that's in Galilee, and one is north, Galilee, one is south, Judea, and in the middle is Samaria, and they, those Jews had fallen away. However, by the time uh, Christianity came along, they were becoming to be pretty decent Christians. Uh, Justin was born to uh, non-religious parents. He converted by himself uh, at about the age of 20, and he, a uh, bright man, began to study philosophy and according to uh, his uh, apology on Trifo, he met an old man at the sea, and this man impressed him, and he said words to the effect of search for truth, mm-hmm. which he did, Trifo being a Jew, and you'll get into him a little later. And he uh, eventually went to Rome, uh, studied a lot of philosophy, particularly the Greek philosophy, Plato being the big name, but there were others. And from there, it, it, just a brief note about Plato. Remember, probably his most famous story comes from the Republic mm-hmm. about the cave, yes. where these people are looking at shadows. And yes. unless you can, uh, human beings that are shadows, unless you get out, you really can't see what human beings So the search for real truth. That's what kind of got to him about Greek philosophy. Mm-hmm. And he found real truth in the Bible and in Greek philosophy in that search, and he kind of united the two of them. Mm-hmm. And he, he set up a school in Rome uh, and gave uh, 
free tuition to people who came, and he instructed them in the faith. He was an apologist. Doesn't mean he said he was sorry. It means he gave explanations and solid arguments for why this church was the true church. Not like he's advertising for a car, saying get this car because it suits your style. No, mm-hmm. this church will lead you to being what a true human being is supposed to be. Yeah, I don't know if we would call uh, St. Justin a preacher as much as we would call him a debater and teacher. Correct. Uh, there's there's two different things going on there. He certainly was a catechist, but one who would debate. I mean, this is certainly what his apologies were about. You know, Benedict XVI makes a most interesting point, John, about the figure of St. Justin. He says that when you look at this figure, Justin, St. Justin, there was not one man outside, of course, of St. Paul who had such an influence yes. upon early Christianity and, and those coming into the Christian faith. Now, the question begs to be asked, why not Ignatius of Antioch or St. Clement of Rome or St. Polycarp of Smyrna, these men that we've already talked about that, that had a huge impact on primitive Christianity? Why St. Justin? Well, off the top, I had mentioned, and you had talked about, you know, he was a philosopher. St. Justin had that ability to take his understanding of truth uh, and, and reason and engage the whole philosophical world, a world that, for all intents and purposes, were up to that point uh, unevangelized and, and uncatechized. And so he has this unique ability to reach them. In many ways, John, we could say that uh, he was evangelizing within the context of the new evangelization 2,000 years ago. I have talked a lot on this radio program, John, and by radio program I mean Seeds of Truth from Monday to Friday, about what the new evangelization is. Not that we're changing the gospel message, that is unchanging, but it's how we take that gospel message and present it so that people might uh, listen to it, that people might be attracted to it. Uh, Here... St. Justin is presenting the faith to this very large group of people in a very attractive way. He's showing them how the Logos, the Word of God, uh, is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so in doing so, he is evangelizing, he is catechizing, and he is influencing a very large sector of people. No, what does Paul say? What does Paul do in the book of Acts? If you were to go into Acts 17, 18, uh, you have him in the cultural meeting center there in Athens, the Areopagus, right? Well, there's a modern Areopagus, and that is wherever the culture meets. Every town has a downtown, you know, that they meet in the evening, right? There was that in uh, Greece, in Athens, and that was the Areopagus. Uh, this is where St. Justin went. You know, he went to the cultural meeting center and he evangelized uh, the Socratics, those who studied under Plato and Aristotle and all the rest. And by doing so, he had a huge impact, a huge impact on uh, the early church, converting hundreds if not thousands. Yeah, his dialogue to Trifon is the oldest piece of Christian apologetics that we have. And then he wrote two more apologies, uh, one to the Roman Emperor Pius 
um, Antonius Pius, and then another one to Marcus Aurelius, P- Antonius Pius being the father of Marcus Aurelius. Yeah, yeah. And um, the but those apologies came later in his life, and uh, and we have these, and he is trying to show the most sophisticated world around that your philosophy needs to be adjusted. He's also trying to show the Jewish world. You know, you were given a great uh, source of revelation, but you didn't finish it. Yeah, in fact, he makes that direct comparison, John, that I, I absolutely love. He shows the Greeks how their philosophy is the foundation, like that of the Old Testament to Christianity. Yes. He makes that direct parallel. He says it explicitly to the Greeks, just as your philosophy is the pre- precursor to Christ, so is you know the Old Testament the precursor to Christ. And, and it's the whole promise fulfillment structure, so important. He makes a point in a dialogue with Trifon about circumcision. And he says, circumcision, which was for males only, that is not justification. He mm-hmm. remember St. Paul was huge on yes, justification. Yes. You were justified by Christ's sacrifice for you. You're not justified by being circumcised. And what about women? Christ loved, you know, they, they were made in the image of likeness of God too. Yes. So you've got to go deeper. Yes, He's that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and come to understand the unity of the Old and New Testament. And once you understand the unity, you'll come to understand then better what's going on in the Old Testament. Yes. And by understanding the Old Testament, you're going to understand better what's going on in the New Testament. Um, he was the first to really get into this topic that you and I have talked about so much, John, of typology, which is that that principle, that study, that way of reading Scripture that really reveals and shows the wonder and the beauty of the unity of the two Testaments. Uh, and so he was the first to do that, what he calls the promise and fulfillment structure of faith. He explicitly showed in that first apology how Christ is the new Moses. Well, what is he doing? He's simply doing what Jesus himself was doing. Remember in John chapter 5, verses 39 and following, he says, you search the scriptures and because in them they bear witness to me. What is he talking about? There was no New Testament scriptures at the time of Christ. He's talking about the Old Testament, the road to Emmaus. He's literally showing them how he is a new Moses. <laughs> what St. Justin is doing is he's showing the Jewish world, that, that they've missed it. <laughs> they've missed it. You have failed to see that Christ is the fulfillment of all of your hopes and dreams and wonders. Exactly. His big Greek word was logos, which was also St. John the Evangelist's big word. Christ is the word, and that's what he follows. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that the, the doctrine of the logos was certainly at the heart of his... Um, apologies. I wanted to go back, John, briefly. You had mentioned that encounter with, with Trifon, and, and he actually records it in his work dialogue with, with Trifon, this, this Jew. It's to, it's to first say, you talked about his studies. You know, he receives his PhD after studying in Athens. In the ancient world, when you received a PhD, you would receive a cloak and a stole, and, and you would wear it around you, and it was a way for everyone to see that you are versed in the classics. You are versed in the nature of truth. Uh, you are one who everyone should esteem. You know, you are one who, if you know, they're walking down the avenue, you'd say, "Hey, I've got a question about reason. I've got a question about truth. I've got a question about God." So on and so forth. And so, 
they would proudly wear these. Uh, kind of like the uh, Old Testament phylactery, but maybe not quite as mm. prideful. I don't know. I yeah. guess it depends on uh, the PhD. But anyhow, in his dialogue with Trifle, he records his first encounter with him. And I wanted to actually read this. It's, it's most interesting, John. He says, One morning, as I was walking upon a broad avenue, some translate that as... Uh, as beach, so take it as you will. A man accompanied by some friends came up to me and said, Good morning, philosopher, right? Because he would have been wearing his cloak and stole. Whereupon he and his friends walked along beside me. After returning his greeting, I asked, What is the matter? Is there anything special you wish of me? This would have been typical, John. He answered, Corinthus the Socratic taught me in Argos never to slight or ignore those who wear your garb, but to show them every consideration and to converse with them, since from such a conversation some good might be derived. These friends of mine share my hope of hearing something profitable from you. So here they see this man walking down the beach, the street, the avenue, and they're, they're drawn to him because they want to profit from him. They want to be enlightened uh, by him. And so it continues. Who indeed are you, most excellent sir? I asked with a smile. He did not hesitate to tell me his name and background. Trypho, he said, is my name, or Tryphon by some. I am a Hebrew of the circumcision. How, I asked, can you gain as much from philosophy as from your own lawgiver and prophets? Why not, he replied, for do not the philosophers speak always about God? Do they not constantly propose questions about his unity and providence? Is this not the task of philosophy to inquire about the divine? So out from this dialogue, out from this personal encounter, John, do you have these new questions being asked from Justin? You know, here you have his th this encounter, and he's being led to ask new questions. And as I like to say, new questions always lead to new beginnings. And so one can well imagine the kind of impact that this first encounter with this Jew had. Remember what we opened up with, you know, his evangelical efforts to uh, the world of philosophers and how that first encounter impacted the way he went about inquiring, the way in which he used to reason through uh, his questions. Yeah. This Jewish man was hugely influential. He, I, I read some quotes about, spend your life seeking truth, Yes, which is exactly what Justin did. Yes. That's a risky business to get into. Truth doesn't pay that well. No. <laughs> but Justin went after it. That's right. Well put. That's right. And ultimately, uh, this is why we know uh, Justin, as we know him, as uh, the first and great apologist, uh, philosopher, and martyr, as we noted off the top. Now, John, as we talk about this, St. Justin has also given us something very important in, in, the, in the realm of, of the Eucharist and the Mass. What he does is, he, is he's going through the promise and fulfillment structure. He takes up the importance of how the celebration of the Mass, ultimately, as we've talked about it before, is the great New Testament. Um, and now I'm paraphrasing, but certainly he makes, uh, he makes himself clear that the Mass 
was the epicenter of the early life of the Christian. And so I wanted to go ahead and read uh, from his apology. Uh, I believe this is from his first apology, uh, where he gets into the Mass. I mean, this is mid-second century. I mean, listen to these words. I mean, for all of our Catholics and, and, and non-Catholics, listen to this Listen to this Christian apologist. After thus baptizing the one who has believed and given his assent, we escort him to the place where are assembled those whom we call the brethren to offer up sincere prayers. At the conclusion of the prayers, we greet one another with a kiss, the formal kiss of peace. Then, Bread and a chalice containing wine mixed with water are presented to the one presiding over the brethren. He takes them and offers praise and glory to the Father of all, and he recites lengthy prayers of thanksgiving to God. At the end of these prayers and thanksgiving, all present express their approval by saying, Amen. We call this food the Eucharist, of which only he can partake who has acknowledged the truth of our teachings who has been cleansed by the baptism for the remission of his sins and for his regeneration, and who regulates his life upon the principles laid down by Christ. Wow, is Justin influenced by Paul. I mean, you read these words, and all you have to do is go to Paul's first letter to the church of Corinth, where he's explicitly saying the same thing. Of course, Justin, while he's not only talking about the Mass, also using the word, the Eucharist. I think that's important. So he continues, John, not as ordinary bread or as ordinary drink do we partake of them, but just as through the word of God, our Savior Jesus Christ became incarnate and took upon himself flesh and blood for our salvation. So we have been taught the food which has been made the Eucharist by the prayer of his word and which nourishes our flesh and blood by assimilation is both the flesh and the blood of that Jesus who was made flesh. The apostles in their memoirs, which are called Gospels, I love that, have handed down what Jesus ordered them to do, that he took bread and after giving thanks said, do this in remembrance of me. This is my body. In like manner, he took also the chalice, gave thanks and said, this is my blood. And to them only did he give it. Henceforward, we constantly remind one another of these things. The Eucharistic elements are distributed and consumed by those present, and to those who are absent they are sent through the deacons. He goes on to speak of the Sunday, John. Sunday, indeed, is the day on which we hold our common assembly because it is the first day on which God created the world and then our Savior and our Savior Jesus Christ arose from the dead on the same day. For they crucified him on the day before that on Saturn, and on the day after, which is Sunday, he appeared to his apostles and disciples and taught them the things which we have passed on to you also for consideration. John, this is a, a precious mid-second uh, century account of what today is called the sacrifice of the Mass. And it bears direct witness to the relationship between Christ and the Eucharist which is characterized by his own teaching. And his own teaching would have it that he said to his apostles, do this, not 
write this, but do this. This was his first command, and this is what they did. And so, wonderfully so, do we see the parallel elements between the, the Mass he's talking about there and the Mass we celebrate today. It's interesting to note that the uh, Mass is virtually unchanged for 2,000 years, and it closely follows the Jewish uh, method of, uh, of celebrating, of praying to God. He wrote that to um, the Emperor Marcus Aurelius. That was Apology Number 1. And... Uh, you know, the Romans, what they wanted to do was just cast some pointless incense towards a statue of a god, mm -hmm. and that, you know, no, we don't do that. Yeah. And he paid, because he wouldn't do that, he paid for it with his life. Yeah. I mean, you think about it, yeah, what are we talking about here? The, the Christians were sent to their graves by, by saying no to this uh, this casting of incense. The emperors wanted to be idolized, worshipped. Remember the truth as it relates to the gospel itself. I mean, the gospel is the evangelion. Uh, that, that word evangelion figures into just not the Roman vocabulary, but the Roman lifestyle. Why? Because the Roman emperors would come out onto the balcony, and, and what would they do? They would have a quote-unquote saving message that would transform. It was a piece of good news, right? Well, this is what the gospel literally means. Here you have the Roman emperor, who was also called what? Lord, Savior, yeah. Master, Son of God. The, eva the evangelists say, yeah, you might think you're all those things, but now I'm going to propose to you who is really the Son of God, Lord, Master, the Prince of Peace, and his name is Jesus Christ, and only he can be the bearer of good news. Only he can give the true and authentic good news that saves and transforms. Yeah, here you have St. Justin, John, offering this account to the emperor who's saying, no, 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 we don't worship you we worship the one true god yeah and what he does is he goes on to show what this worship looks like it's not the bear of a, a little incense here or there yeah. it is it is the sacrificial offering <laughs> it's and beautiful for this he was martyred around the year 163 he received a letter from the emperor which said in latin non licit vos esse that is, it is illegal for you to exist. Yes, <laughs> okay. yes. And um, there, there are records of his trial, and uh, he appeared in front of a uh, guy, a Roman named Rusticus, and they had a bit of a conversation, and at one point Rusticus says, okay, it's clear to me you're a Christian. Remember, Justin had a school. Mm -hmm. He was teaching students. Therefore, he was public about all of this. Yes. And it came to the attention of the Romans, and Rusticus says, well, it's, you know, we're not going to go on with this. You're a Christian. Um offer worship to our, your God, our emperor. And Justin Martyr said, no, they were companions. Now, we know Justin Martyr, but there were other Christians yes, there on yes. the trial. And he says, no, I refuse to do that. And Rusticus says, well, you know what the consequences of this are going to be. You're going to be taken out. You're going to be whipped, flagellated, and then we're going to behead you. Mm -hmm. And Justin knew the consequences. And Roman flagellation, we know what they had at the tips of those mm, uh, mm, cords. It was mm -hmm. just awful. And uh, he was executed. And uh, he is a martyr. And as we said many times on this show, Tertullian's comments, mm -hmm. uh, 
the seed of the church is the blood. I mean, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Yes, yes. And, uh, this show is called Seeds of Truth. That's right. And, and and why, John? Why, why is it that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church? Example. Example, and and going a little deeper, participation in the one offering of Christ. It's really striking that as we talk about his martyrdom and just the larger context of of these Roman persecutions, that we do talk about why they were persecuted as it relates to this incense offering, because ultimately it's that one thing that the, the, the Christian not dare do. Because when you start talking about the language of offering, when you start talking about the, the language of worship, that is the essence of why he came. The Eucharist is the source and summit of our faith, because when you start talking about worship, you're talking about that great principle of relationship from where we can really begin to talk about the encounter. It's all about relationship. That great passage from Romans 8, 15, <laughs> you did not receive uh, the spirit of uh, fear in which you fall into slavery. No, but the spirit of adoption which you cry, Abba, Father. Right. That's the essence of the faith right there. And of course, in the Eucharist, does, does Jesus Christ share his very existence with us and in us? And so to suggest on any level that we uh, would uh, worship this this emperor, oh, that is blasphemy. And so it is right that Justin <laughs> says what he says and writes what he writes about in his apology about the importance of the Eucharist and how that defines us as Christians. It is the epicenter. Um, Justin Martyr read the Gospels quite thoroughly, and in his uh, address, he, he quotes St. Luke, quite, I mean, almost verbatim, particularly in Mary's um, uh, acceptance of bearing Christ. And also, uh, he talks about the Garden of Gethsemane. Yes, yes. Let this pass. He was quite familiar with uh, with Scripture. Yeah, historically, that's an important point, John. He He would have been very familiar with all of the evangelists, all of the Gospels, calling them <laughs> the apostles' memoirs. I, I love that. So, uh, yeah, very relevant when you start talking about how, John, the, uh, these apologies and the letters we've been talking about over the last month really are just a deepening, uh, are a, um, a, a continued reflection, a continued commentary to what it means to share in the very life of Christ, and to participate in his cup, his, his cup of death, um, as we've come to know it. You know, I wanted to highlight that uh, his, some of his last words there, John, you know, Rusticus says, you will be tormented without mercy. And his response was, it is my intention to be saved for eternal life by the torments of Christ crucified. Do what you wish. I love that. Do what you wish. Great program, John. That's a wrap. Uh, let, let us go ahead and close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.